Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. I'm Kenny Gold, live from a place that isn't gray, joined by my trusty co-pilots in the Five Things journey, Amanda Davis. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Kenny. How's it going? You know, same old, same old. And Beth Rolfs. How are we doing, Beth? Oh, pretty good. How are you, Kenny? I'm staying safe, I'm staying smart, and I'm staying social, but we'll save that for the end. So uh, before we dive into our five things, a couple things to note. Want to plug the listener survey again. Everybody loves a good listener survey. It's how we know if we're doing a good job. It's how we know if we can do things better. It's how we can make our content more interesting for you. So jam that keyboard, hit those thumbs, take the survey, help us out. With that are five things. And this week we're focused on the fact that the platforms are no place for hate. I think we can universally agree that that's true. Amanda will kick us off and talk about Twitter users taking over the hashtag Proud Boys. Beth will talk about Facebook banning all QAnon pages. I'll give you a little info on Facebook announcing their election notification updates. Beth will tell us about Instagram adding new audio features for Reels. And then finally, YouTube tested product tags and videos, and Amanda will tell us a bit about that. So put on those goggles, hold that nose. It's time to dive headfirst into our first thing. Take it away, Amanda. Phew. Thank you for that setup. This is very lively. Um, All right. So this week, arguably one of my favorite things to happen in 2020, as we all know, um, the white supremacy group, the Proud Boys, got a little shout out. In the debate that was perhaps a week or two ago, time is not real, as we always say. So who knows when that was? The downside to that, though, was that they got very empowered and excited by that little little Trump shout out. So they started to gain a little bit of momentum. And of course, as soon as Twitter, Twitter and the Internet heard this was happening, we could not have that. So spearheaded by George Takai, who is a notable activist, promoted this idea to the the broader channel of perhaps we take over hashtag Proud Boys with a lot of content that the hashtag real Proud Boys wouldn't love. And that is showcasing all of the beautiful ways that, you know, LGBTQ community loves each other. So he prompted a lot of people um, in that community to post pictures of themselves with their partners, um, with their family, with, you know, things that generally go against what these white supremacists stand for and hashtag it proud boys. And with that, almost overnight, the hashtag was taken over with content that, you know, these guys were not hoping to have in their feed. (laughs) There's not much to say about this other than it's fantastic what a community can do for the sake of good when they when they rally around, um, you know, making a movement and, and changing a conversation. This is your quintessential uh, you know, situation of the world fighting very hard to, to make good and to make good things happen. And I love it. I love it too. I think it's so cool that instead of spreading kind of more hate, this, this hashtag was adopted to show love. And I think that that's like social media in its best form. 
It's also too quite, if you scroll through the hashtag, it's very inventive. Like, you know, it's just this very quick ingenuity of people rallying behind like a, a great cause. I mean, I can't imagine being on the other side of it. So a great cause feels like an understatement. But, you know, really trying to change the narrative of conversation saying, you know, you small groups of people that, you know, don't believe in what the larger society believes in. You don't get to dictate, you know, what our social media feeds are filled with, what the narrative is around, you know, our country and, and what we believe. You, it, It's it's true, like taking ownership of, of kind of what the general conversation is in the public. And it's it's just collective power. You love to see it used for good. No need to cross promote, but I will. Amanda and I host a weekly TV show. It's a web show too. It's on the SMW Plus platform and it's called the comment section. And if you want to hear more about this thing, we did an entire episode around hashtag Proud Boys along with our colleague Assad out in London. So I think it's definitely worth checking out. But with that, let's move on to our next thing, which is Facebook banning all QAnon pages. Beth, give us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Facebook took a, um, I guess, less firm approach to QAnon a few months ago, I think, at this point. And um, they banned all QAnon uh, posts and, you know, connections that were directly related to hate. And now Facebook is expanding that approach to instead of focusing just on hate posts and hate speech to actually um, block all QAnon pages, groups, and Instagram accounts. And the idea is to slow down the conspiracy movement um, in an effort to kind of reduce their reach and their growth online. Um, So I think this is really great. The one kind of caveat is that um, individuals on Facebook and individual posts on Facebook about QAnon can still exist and are not being policed. But um, I think it's a it's a good step in the right direction for Facebook in terms of not having to have explicit hate to stop groups that we know at their core are spreading hate and are undermining our, you know, nation's democracy and fabric. And so I, I think it's a great step in the right direction. What do you guys think? I think every step forward is a step forward. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. And I want them to continue to do more. I want them to continue to ban voices that are counterproductive to our goals as a society to move forward. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just we the beauty of these communities from the onset were that they were designed to be places where everyone could go and they could be inclusive. And like everything else in society, those who try to hate go into it and, and try and bust it apart and make it all about the hate and the divisiveness. Um, Facebook has a lot of work to do, uh, but uh, every long journey starts with one step, right? Yeah, I think I think there's something interesting in what you just said there about the the goals of our society. And I think part of why we're seeing things like QAnon happen is there isn't that collective movement together in our country right now. But I think um, and I think all voices do deserve to be heard. However, there are definitely conspiracy groups such as QAnon that are 
are spreading such misinformation and um, rallying hate and honestly spreading global. I read a terrifying article about how much QAnon is picking up in Germany um, that I think it was the right step, especially if Facebook is committed to not having misinformation on their platform for them to take a stand here. Absolutely. Amanda, anything you want to throw in there? Um, no, I'm just, this is another chapter. And I feel like, again, a recurring chapter is, as we talk through this of like def- these platforms defining what, what hate speech is. Sometimes it's not, you know, threats and, and outright negative speak. It's the things that come from that. And so to your point, it's a, it's a good update. It's good with the caveat of wish it was a little stronger, but I do appreciate that they're, they're starting to, or maybe continuing to redefine like what hate speech is and and how it's unacceptable. So a chapter in a long book, I would say. Yes, definitely. Well said, well put. As we move on, Facebook announces election notification updates. Also really important. Um, We are less than 20 days away at the recording of this podcast from the election. Um, there's so much being talked about in terms of um, how information about the results are going to be handled, how information about where to vote and voter suppression is going to be handled. And Facebook is taking proactive steps to make sure that election notifications are vetted and front and center with everything that is going on on their platform. So they've rolled out a whole host of really interesting uh, updates to the election center, including verified projections of winners. Uh, when they come through, the fact that votes are still being counted, where to register, and how to make a, a, a safe and valid voting plan. Um, so applaud the efforts here. Um, I think, you know, this is probably a five things first where we have two back to back positives around Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the more that our channels are doing to help sow um, the positive seeds that we are, uh, that the election is safe. And verified is really critical to helping prevent misinformation. Beth and Amanda, what do we think? This is great. You can't be mad at this. Um, and I will say I've been alive for three decades now, and I've learned more about the political system and voting in the last three months through social media than I ever have. And maybe that's an embarrassing statistic, but it's the truth. Um, I think the fact is we are getting information from these sources, whether we it's right or wrong or we want it or we're asking for it or we're not it it is here and it can't be ignored how how important these platforms are for for communicating things about about the election so i i like to see a proactive you know management of that of course yeah and amanda i don't think you're alone in the fact that you probably are getting more information now than you ever have about politics from social media so i think social media facebook taking the initiative to get the accurate information out there and not let how politics works in this country be defined by conspiracy theories and people who know half truths um, is good on them, man. Agreed. 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 Well, Beth, from something that we are focused on to save democracy to something we are focused on to make our content better. Tell us a little bit about Instagram adding new audio features for Reels. We had to we had to knock Facebook, Instagram at some point in this. Um, so Instagram is rolling out new features for Reels that 
one could definitely say is almost like a TikTok clone. So the newest updates are Save Audio, which gives users the capacity to save sounds in app, which they then can use for their own reels. So very similar to TikTok, if not exact. Um, Share audio pages. So users will now be able to share collections of reels, which uh, use a specific piece of audio through their DMs. And then the audio browser, which means users will be able to search for sounds and music and the reels clips that use them. Sound familiar? (laughs) Because it is. Um, So I think, you know... Instagram is not leaving anything to chance for the success of Reels and the opportunity that could lie with any sort of TikTok fiasco that could come down the line. It's it's pretty classic. I'm not going to say it's dumb. It's pretty smart on their side to continue to make their capability competitive and give the same experience that you could get in other apps in a single place. What do you guys think? So I've been thinking about this because I am also cognizant that, you know, every week a new feature, a new kind of change to the way that like these these kinds of videos and content are made rolls out. It's one platform, it's the other. We talk about it week by week. And, and I started the other day kind of zooming out and understanding like what's like the big the big shift that we're going to look at and say in 2020, all these things changed about content creation. And it reminds me a lot of um, who I'll, I don't know when this was, but right when, you know, you had SoundCloud coming out, you had GarageBand, you had mixtapes, you had a lot of places that really revolutionized how music was created and released um, instead of your traditional album structure and, and label structure, independent artists could, you know, drop, even just a beat into the world and people would hear it, which you could never do, you know, before that. And so I just, I think this is like another little step. And again, we talk about it week to week and we're really in the details of it, but I'm really excited to see how, how all of these shifts, you know, giving the creator more control. I I think it'll be very, very important time that we look back and say, you know, 2020 content creation changed dramatically. Um, So I'm, I'm, you know, it's one platform, it's the other platform, they're playing, you know, a little pogo stick, but I, I'm excited to see kind of, you know, the outcome of all this and where it goes. We haven't had this kind of um, back and forth since Snap and Instagram talked about stories and and DM. And I love these moments in social media because I think they help us reframe what's at the core of these channels and why they're valuable. Um, so I, I love kind of seeing this. And I think 2020, while a really shitty year across the board, has been a really seminal year in um, the evolution of these social channels. Snap as a place for friends to communicate with one another. Uh, you know, Twitter becoming a place, uh, you know, a professional network on top of becoming the place where people go to vent and talk and learn. Um, I think you're seeing such a double down on, on these channels. And then you look at a channel like Pinterest where people are talking about sort of dreaming and thinking ahead. But then Instagram and Facebook probably feel like they're declining a tiny bit because 
going out into the world and capturing your story and pushing it out for FOMO purposes or documenting what you're going through is sort of declined. Like everyone's sort of living the shared experience. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really interesting year in, in the roles of these channels and the, the way we're using them. Uh, that leads us to our last thing here. And I think this one's really interesting uh, as we think about the condensing of the consumer funnel and how social media is creating a tighter link between, you know, awareness and relevancy all the way through to trial and purchase. And that's with YouTube testing product tags in their video. So Amanda, give us a bit on that. So um, YouTube launched um, product tags, which as the name suggests, allows uh, limited you know, channels and, and creators to add tags into their videos so that users and, and viewers can go straight to purchase um, whatever product might be in the video. What's really interesting about this is it actually doesn't link you out to, you know, an Amazon or, or Walmart. It, you can purchase it straight in from the video, very similar to, um, Instagram's new shopping feature where you can just go right to checkout through that. This is kind of, to me, this is kind of groundbreaking for YouTube. Um, I think a lot of marketers have had issues and maybe not issues, but I've had to work through how they how they use YouTube in the funnel um, and the way that people engage with YouTube and, and eventually, to your point, Kenny, like get to the final layer of the funnel. Um, so this, they've tried a couple of things previously. They had, you know, like most, a little bar underneath with products. People used to link out in the bios and things like that. So I, I see this being very lucrative. And you think about influencer marketing, how it's, you know, become making content together the content is entertainment, the lines are getting blurred, there's features and there's products. I think this is just a really, really natural progression into, you know, thinking about your actual viewer and how they're engaging with the content and, and what you want them to do and, and how. So to me, a little unexpected, but like very exciting for them. Totally agree. I also think from a data perspective, what you're going to be able to capture about um, varying degrees of video length and product engagement it's kind of an interesting thing as well. Um, when you think of all the DIY content that's out there and how people sort of the how-to world of YouTube, I think it's interesting to see what role that plays and how marketers drive into that. This one's fascinating to me. Um, really exciting stuff. Beth, anything on top of that? Yeah, I was thinking kind of the exact same thing you were, Kenny, that like the role of influencer marketing and being able to measure the impact of influencer marketing on YouTube will now be so much easier. And there's also, I think, clues that we can pick up through this data of when does someone actually hit the shop button? What, what kind of prompts them to make that action in the content that could be really, really interesting. So I think it's awesome. I think it's a great way for YouTube to keep winning at the video game and expanding. That's absolutely right. Well, a quick trip around the five things that are happening in social media. Let me take this chance to remind you all to take the listener survey. If you take away anything from this podcast, there were five things and to do the listener survey. As always, I want to say thank you to the entire great team behind this podcast our intrepid producers, Daniel Hunt and Joey Scarillo, for always making this podcast sound and feel amazing. 
to the team uh, back at Great Towers who compiles the five things every week and make sure that we have amazing topics to talk about. To my co-pilots on the journey, Amanda Davis and Beth Rolfs. As always, you can email us at podcasts at gray.com with any questions, thoughts, concerns, musings. I just got a DM this week uh, about our conversation around the social dilemma. Um, And with that, keep them coming. We love to hear them. But while you're out there in this brave, brave world, hashtag lightly, lurk quietly, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.